0: This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Wow. That was amazing, wasn't it? How special. And Amos and Ezra, you guys are just so loved. Absolutely beautiful. Well, that was incredible, wasn't it? That was so beautiful. And uh, what a beautiful day, beautiful sunshine. Um, not an appropriate day to wear a shirt and to have a big beard, but uh, I'm going for it anyway. And, uh, it's hot, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's unexpectedly hot. Maybe that's why well, my trousers up. You really want me to do that? No, <laughs> other people said in one voice. Amazing, I've not had the privilege of meeting you. My name is Pete, and we're continuing our series in Leviticus, uh, Life Together. This is part nine uh, in the book of Leviticus, this ancient wisdom uh, that we're going to be looking at this morning. And the book of Leviticus is the book uh, written to the tribal people, the Levites, uh, this tribe of uh, priestly people. And I love this idea that we, in this room this morning, we get to fulfill some of the role of the priests Uh, And the role of the priests, my little phrase for this is that we get to be conduits of heaven. What does that mean? Well, what that means is we get to be people that carry something, that receive something, and then pass that on. Like a conduit, something that receives something and then passes it on. The priests that was their job. Obviously, uh, throughout history, priests have fulfilled other functions, but their primary role, the primary role of a priest was to receive something and then pass that on. And I think we get to do that as a church community. We get to do that this morning. We, as we're looking at this book, "Live Together, Leviticus, being good neighbors in our world. Can we be priests and servants in our world? Can we be people that receive something from heaven and then pass that on to the world around us? Uh, Matt preached brilliantly from this a few weeks ago, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. One of my favorite life scriptures. It says this, you are a chosen people. This is you this morning. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We've got a job to do. We have a vocation. We have a calling on our lives, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. For once you had not uh, received mercy, or once you were not the people of God, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This series is all about being holy. What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to orientate our lives around the dream of God, the heart of God, the kingdom of God? What does it mean to live our lives together? How how do we practice being good neighbors? Well, can I say to you this morning, maybe part of that is being a conduit of heaven, receiving something from God and then passing that on to the world around us. What, What could that be? What about grace? Have you received grace this morning? Anyone in the room that would say, my life, I've just received so much grace in my life. Like I was living, maybe maybe you were living in shame. Maybe you were living in a sense of, oh, I just feel rejected. I feel like an outsider. But because of Jesus, I've received this grace. And I, I now get to walk in this grace. Here's what a conduit does. They then pass it on. I have received this thing. And here's what priests do. They then pass it on. They then see people in the world around them and say, hey, you look like you need some grace. You don't, you don't look like you need some judgment. You don't look like you need some fingers pointing at you. It looks like you just need some grace poured out into your life. What about some mercy? Anyone received mercy uh, or forgiveness? You know, anyone that maybe was, uh, their life was kind of stunted by something that happened to them or something that you did. Stunted by a lack of forgiveness. Stunted by bitterness. And then forgiveness came in. We received something, then we get to pass it on. And blessing, uh, what a blessing this morning we've seen and we've dedicated Amos and Ezra. Maybe you've received blessing. Maybe you've received blessing. Maybe it's not right, is it? As if you have received blessing. If you've got breath in your lungs this morning, our life is overflowing uh, with blessing. There's so much goodness in our lives. Could we be a conduit of heaven this morning? Could we be like the priests who receive something and then pass it on? Who then pass it on? Well, today's scripture, today's part of this uh, series, Life Together, is Leviticus 19, verse 14. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, And you can uh, read along in your actual Bibles as well, on your phone or paper form. And it says this, Leviticus 19, verse 14. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. So we're going to be unpacking this scripture this morning. Uh, from uh, from the book of Leviticus and, and this is an ancient book just to put it out there this is an this is ancient text that we're dealing with this morning and we're going to be asking the question why like why would God say this to His people and then what does that look like how do we actually apply that uh, into our lives and how does it affect the way we treat other people but the book of Leviticus Written uh, around the year 1446 BC, around that, around that period, give or take. But around that period. So we're talking about three and a half thousand years ago. So when some of us engage with this stuff and we're like, oh, this is ancient. This is primitive. This is like from another era. It's because it is. <laughs> it's because it is ancient stuff. Three and a half years, uh, three and a half thousand years ago. Do you know how far in the future that is? Like the year 505 A.D., Who can imagine, is that right? 5,580, it's a long long time in the future. Who can imagine, I can't even imagine 2050. Uh, Who can imagine the year 2050? The year 2050 feels like a futuristic movie, doesn't it? But Leviticus is as far away from us as we are from the year 5,500, did I get it right? The year 5,500, that's how far away we are. 2050, we'll be on the hoverboards by then. Who knows? Will we have the flying cars by then? Will Liverpool have won the league by then? Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for your faith. Yeah, who's more likely to have won the league by then? Burnley or Liverpool? <laughs> hmm. Not Sunderland. Uh, so the year 2050, it's hard, it's hard to imagine the year 2050. What about the year 5,500 AD? I've said it wrong, 5,500 AD. So this is ancient stuff, and some, some people write off scripture, some people write off some of this ancient text, because they say oh, it's primitive, it's outdated, it's for a bygone era, as in it's not for me, it's not relevant. Well, this is ancient wisdom that is deeply relevant. It's ancient wisdom that's deeply applicable. Like, if we took this stuff seriously, if we really engage with this stuff then it would actually begin to uh, impact our lives as individuals, our families who we care about and love, and the world around us. It would actually begin to change the world. And actually, the reality is it is changing the world. The people that innovate, and we'll talk about this later, but the people who are bringing change to the world are the people who engage with this stuff seriously and then apply it in their lives. So why? Why did God say this? In this uh, kind of this list of uh, commandments, this this list of um, or this collection from God of here's how you orientate your lives, here's how you live your lives together. Why? Well, here's what I would say: because God is always leading and guiding. God is always leading and guiding. God is always on the move. God is not static. God is not standing still. God is always leading and guiding. And often, actually, Scripture is God intersecting with real people's real lives scripture is God often intersecting with communities, with people, with individuals and speaking into their situation. So why is he said, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind? Because people oppress people. Because people, um, particularly maybe vulnerable people or people who are seen as weak or disadvantaged or marginalized in society, are often the ones who receive the worst exploitation and receive the worst treatment from the rest of society Now, that might sound like something that primitive people did centuries ago, but who knows, that's actually how our world still operates too often. That the people on the edges, the people on the margins, the people seen as vulnerable or uh, the people who are seen as less than are often the ones who are exploited by the rest of society. So why did God say this? Because he was trying to lead a people. He He was trying to lead a tribe, trying to lead a people in another way of living so they could be leaders in the world, so they could show everyone else what life could look like. So why? Because God is leading and guiding his people to lead the way. And that's what he's still doing now. So what? What does this scripture tell us to do? Well, here's my first point to this morning. I know I've said like a million things already, but here's the first actual point, if you're taking notes, uh, that we should be holy defenders, that we should be people who um, defend the defenseless, who, don't, who choose not to exploit the downtrodden, who choo- choose not to exploit those who society might say are weak and vulnerable. Here's what's powerful about the scripture. Do not curse the deaf. Well, here's the thing. The deaf don't know that they're being cursed because they can't hear the curse. So don't exploit those who've already been exploited. Don't, don't hurt those who are already struggling or downtrodden or uh, don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind. Why? That's cruel, <laughs> Because they can't see the stumbling block. Don't be cruel to people who actually, life is maybe already difficult. Don't exploit the weak. Don't exploit uh, those who are struggling. Don't attack the defenseless. What? So what do we do with this? Because some societies did this. This is what we see in the the biblical story. That some people structured the way they live their lives by exploiting others. Does it sound familiar? (laughs) Are we like, oh, in those primitive Bible days, people exploited others. Uh, And now we're uh, civilized and modern and progressive and we don't exploit people anymore. Well, look around, (laughs) you know, look around our society. Look around the world that we live in. Look around modern, Western, uh, enlightened civilization. Hey, do you know what? We still exploit people. There are still people living at the margins. There are still people who are vulnerable and weak. And actually, they're the ones who maybe suffer the most in our world. And God is saying we should be the leaders, He's leading and guiding, and he's calling us to join him in uh, caring for for those who are marginalized, who are caring for those who life just seems to have not worked out for them. So what do we do? Well, we don't exploit the downtrodden. We don't attack the defenseless. I, I have a friend who... I I can't believe he's here today. I wasn't expecting him to be here. Uh, I have a friend who, uh, who lives uh, with an illness and uh, really felt God was calling him to, uh, to help others. And uh, went to uh, uh, another country, a country I won't name, but he went to another country to help uh, find people that he could defend, find people that he could care for, people that were maybe exploited. He had some money that he'd raised and he had a simple prayer God, lead me. <laughs> you know, that's a great prayer, isn't it? You know, sometimes we don't know the next step, do we? And we're trying to figure out the logical next step. I have this resource. I have this passion. I have this sense of my life is meant to do something. And so we have this simple prayer. I have this resource. I have this passion. I have this sense that, God, you want me to do something? And I'm here. I'm now stood in this country. God, what do you want me to do? And he tells me the story that someone tapped on his shoulder and said, let me show you my, my children. And uh, this lady led him uh, to a child who was living with polio, uh, living in a country where, in this country, that, that's a treatable, the, the, the modern miracle. You know, uh, polio is treatable, but in this country, there's not a national health service. Uh, the vulnerable are exploited and don't receive the care that people do in this country. Um, and so this child, who was no longer a child, was now an adult, was living with this illness, was living with this uh, with this, uh with, with this condition. And so my friend said, What can I do to help? I have resource and I have passion. And I'm living with a condition. I'm living with an illness. I want to help. I want to get involved in this person's life. And so I bought them a wheelchair uh, and then began to think, I actually can do something more than just helping this one person. I can maybe raise funds to help prevent. Other people getting this illness in this country. Why? Because that nation isn't looking after uh, their marginalised. But my friend is saying, "I'll do something. I can't help everybody, but I will help a few of these children. If you want to ask me more about that, you can do. You can do after. So why do we do this? Because some, because some structures, some way societies, are, some the way some societies are structured, don't care uh, for the explo- don't care for the downtrodden, for the marginalised. But I think God is saying we should. We should be holy defenders. Why? Because how we treat others reflects our reverence for the name. So we always start our Life Church gatherings with honoring the name, don't we? We lift hands. We lift these hands to say, We honor you, God. We honor your name. The name of Jesus is honoured in this place, and we love the name of Jesus. We prayed for these precious uh, young men this morning. In the name of Jesus, we lift our hands high in worship of our God. But could honouring the name, could reverence for the name, could worship for the name also be lives that are lowered in service to others? Hands that are high in worship, but lives that are lowered in service. How we treat others reflects our reverence for the name. Good neighbours blessed to look down upon because of our reverence of the divine. And, and I also want to honor people in this room who you spend your whole life, you, you, your career, your job, uh, your life is about caring for others. And I've, I know there's people in this room, there's people that are friends of mine in this room who I know that's your, your whole life, your career, your job is spent caring for others, protecting others, being a holy defender. And I know when I speak to you, I know actually that you feel great joy in that. You feel great pleasure in that. Actually, some people that I talk to that work in that world would say that they feel God, that they experience God, that they connect with God when they care for others, when they defend others. And so we won't get them to stand up, but why don't we just honor those people in this room this morning who spend their whole life doing that. We won't embarrass you. We won't get you to stand up. But for those of you who care for others, who defend because of How you see God, it impacts the way that you see those around you. Maybe those in your family or friends of yours. So holy defenders, people who defend the defenseless. We don't attack and exploit those who actually life may be already difficult for them. But here's the kind of the step up from that. I I think it would be amazing if each of us as individuals said we want to orientate our lives, our individual lives of being good neighbors. But what about we actually said, we're going to be innovators. So as well as being defenders, we're actually going to go beyond that. And we're going to be holy innovators. Are you ready for this? (laughs) Holy innovators. Holiness can change how our life together works. Holiness can be a catalyst for how society is structured. For better or for worse, by the way. But we're going to talk about the better today. But holiness... A holy lifestyle can actually be a catalyst for how society works. What do I mean by that? Well, let's imagine this. Let's do a little imagination exercise. Imagine one person who orientated their whole life around being a good neighbor. What, what should we call this person? Dan's a good name. But yeah, any other suggestions? What can we call this Let's imagine this one person. Cecil. Okay, Cecil. Cecil, the good neighbor. And let's imagine this one person that we say, this, this guy's such a good guy. This guy uh, doesn't exploit others. He doesn't oppress others. He doesn't attack the f- defenseless. He lifts up the name. He lives a life of generosity, a life of integrity. He lives a peppermint life. He has this holy contagion about him. Like, and we look at Seth and we say, this guy's awesome. Maybe in years to come, we saints Saint him, you know, and Saint Cecil, the great, you know. And in years to come, books are written about this one individual who lived this great life. And so let's let's imagine there's this one person that lives like this, and and that's awesome. But imagine a whole family or like a group of friends. Why don't we call them a life group? You know, a group of people that get together every week to unpack Scripture and to pray together and to orientate their lives together around God's heart, around God's way, uh, around God's kingdom. What about a whole group of people? So let's not just say it's one mighty Cecil, you know. It's this whole group of people, this family. You know, imagine a whole family. Imagine your family orientated themselves around being good neighbors, not exploiting others, not oppressing others, not attacking the defenseless, but lifting them up, living a life of generosity, integrity, having this peppermint, holy contagion. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's not just an individual, but a whole family, a whole group of friends, a whole life group got together and did that. Well, if we took it a step further and said a whole church, like a whole community of people, the three or four hundred people who call Life Church their home, and we all live like this. We orientated our lives around being good neighbors. What about everybody in Lancashire? What about everybody in Lancashire said, we don't care how everyone does it everywhere else. This is how we do it. This is how life church people live. This is how Lancashire people live. We live differently. We are good neighbors. We don't exploit others. We don't oppress others. We don't attack the defenseless, but we lift them up. We live a life of generosity, of integrity. We have a holy contagion. There's something inside of us that infects and affects everything around us. What if a whole community lived like that? I can ask you this question. What's, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from joining in? What's stopping us from orientating our lives around that? Like we have this imagination, and what we don't want to do in this church is raise up heroes, like one hero, Cecil. <laughs> you know, If there's a Cecil in the room, this is not against you. But I'm glad we chose a Cecil. That was helpful because that's unlikely, I guess. Uh, but we, it's not like, let's all follow Cecil because Cecil is awesome. No, actually, it's about all of us. It's about this whole community, this whole tribe, All the families in this room and all of us are invited into this. So my question is, what is stopping you from joining in this way of living? What is stopping us? Later, I'm going to give you this challenge. But I'll say it now and later we can respond to it. But my my challenge is to orientate your life around being a good neighbor. Let's orientate our lives together around being good neighbors. You know, it's... um, The people of God have always led the way in the care of the disadvantaged and the disabled. It is the people of God who lead the way in education for all. And today, the church in the UK continues to lead the way. This is from the Cinema Network. Cinnamon Network is a, a national organization that either try and do uh, research or petition government or try and resource the church to be good neighbors, to try and resource the church to, to love the world around them. They say this is an estimate, uh, estimated £350 million worth of volunteer contribution by faith communities to, in the UK to serve the most vulnerable in society. This was last year. Their research said that if you took away the church... If you took away the people of God, the faith communities in this country, and the work they do for people who are disadvantaged, for asylum seekers, for refugees, for people living in poverty, for children, uh, for disadvantaged people. If you took away all of that, well, one, the addition is £350 million worth of volunteer work by the church in the UK. And if you took that away, where would we be? You know, you think about the, the services for children and young people and all parts of the community, all parts of society, the food banks and, and the care, uh, the chaplaincy work that the church puts into the community is incredible. This is our call. This is our vocation to be the people of God, the people of the way. So what's stopping us from joining in? Can we orientate our lives around being a good neighbor? I want to just uh, tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about uh, a hero of mine. This guy's amazing. It's called Nick, and I'm not going to try and say his surname because I've just got, I've got no chance, if I'm honest. But it's called Nick, and he's, uh, he's from Australia. And this story is a story of someone who, when we don't curse the deaf and we don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind, this is what we see happens. We see lives flourish. When we don't curse the deaf and we don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but in, instead we, we honor God we fear God, we revere God with our hands lifted and with our lives lowered, then we see other people's lives flourish. So this is Nick's story. Um, His book, the book that he wrote about his life, he's written multiple books now, but uh, the first book he wrote about his life was called No Arms, No Legs, No Worries. He's Australian. No Arms, No Legs, No Worries. And this is from another book by John Maxwell called uh, No Limits. And it's about... Um, capacity, increasing the capacity in your life. And this is him telling Nick's story. Nick is inspiring. He's got a fantastic attitude, a great sense of humor, and a warm and loving spirit. Though he's only in his early 30s, now today, homework, YouTube, this guy, Nick, I can't say his surname, but Nick, uh, no arms, no legs, no worries. And you'll see his great sense of humor as he does his talks. He's already written and published five books, acted in two movies, performed in a music video, appeared on Oprah, and spoken to hundreds of millions of people around the world, often filling stadiums. Not impressed? Would you be if you knew that Nick had no arms and no legs? Nick was born without limbs, and it's a very difficult time growing up. He was bullied, he felt lonely, and he even contemplated suicide when he was eight years old. But he persevered. He drew on his faith, the love of his parents, and his desire to make a difference. He would not allow himself to be defined by his limitations. He made the most of everything he had. In his book, Life Without Limits, Nick writes, Helen Keller, who lost both her sight and hearing in childhood, but became a renowned activist and author, said that there is no such thing as a secure life. It does not exist in nature. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Risk, then, is not just part of life, it is life. The place between your comfort zone and your dream is where life takes place. It's the high anxiety zone, but it's also where you discover who you are. Nick believed his purpose was to speak to audiences, to become a motivational speaker. Yet he had no experience, no resources, and no invitations. He decided to begin calling schools and offering to speak about bullying, dreaming big and never giving up. He received 52 rejections, but on his 53rd try, a school finally said yes and offered to pay him $50. He was ecstatic. Then he realized that it would take a two and a half hour drive just to get to the school. Undaunted, Nick offered the money to his brother, Aaron, to drive him there. As it turned out, Nick spoke to only 10 students for five minutes. Five hours hours of driving for five minutes of speaking, he felt foolish. But then the next week, the phone started ringing. School after school asked him to come and share his story. And those requests grew. They're still growing. Today, more than a decade later, Nick receives 35,000 speaking requests a year. Nick advises people to dream big and be a little foolish. He says, if I went by the world's definition of who I'm supposed to be because I look weird, well, surely this guy can't have a productive life. Surely he he doesn't have a sense of humor. Surely he can't love life. We stereotype people in this world. And so, if the world thinks you're not good enough, it's a lie. You know, get a second opinion. I want to be the person to give you that second opinion. You have great value. You have great potential. Not only are you good enough, but you, are, you have the ability to get even better and to achieve greater significance in your life. I echo the words of Nick who says, if God can use a man without arms and legs to be his hands and his feet, then he will certainly use... Any willing heart. I love Nick's story. I love Nick's story. What happens when we don't curse the deaf? What happens when we don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind? They flourish. Nick has this incredible life. Nick brings life to so many other people. But when he was eight, he was ready to take it all because of the the curse, because of the lies, because of the uh, the rubbish that was spoken over him as a child. But now here he is speaking to hundreds of thousands of children and young people all over the world, and adults, and inspiring them and saying, hey, no arms, no legs, no worries. God can still have greatness on your life. God can still have a destiny on your life, a purpose on your life. This is a life that is flourishing. Here's the last thing I want to say to us this morning, and this is going to be up on the screen, maybe a bit of a, a challenge or a thought for some of us if we're taking this idea of being wholly innovators, people who caring for an individual, being an individual that cares for an individual is so powerful, that is so important, that is so crucial, and I, we want to honour that. I want to say, keep on doing that. But what actually if we innovated, if we changed the way society worked, that it wasn't just an individual helping another individual, but it was groups of us, families, and groups of friends that orientated our lives together. What if there's a whole community we actually did this together. We orientated our life together in being good neighbors, in not cursing the, the deaf or putting stumbling block in front of the blind, but actually releasing people to flourish. Here's my, here's my thought. Maybe the greatest thing you'll ever do is the one thing that no one ever asked you to do. This is an innovation thought. Most of us spend our lives either doing or not doing the things that we're meant to do. <laughs> you know, you know, we have like a, a rule book, don't we? We have a, a job description, Or we have, this is how things are meant to be. Um, You know, you're this age or this gender or this background. And here's the script for your life. And most of us live our lives either doing exactly the script or not. Rejecting the script and rebelling against the script. Here's the thing. Maybe the most powerful thing. Maybe the greatest thing you'll ever do in your life is ignoring the script. (laughs) And saying, there's this passion in my heart. There's this resource in my hand. And I'm going to innovate. I'm going to create. I'm going to go beyond myself. I'm actually going to change the way things work. And I'm going to lead my family there. I'm going to take a hold of my life. We're going to say, we are going to orientate our lives around being good neighbors. We're going to orientate our lives on being a blessing, on being a conduit of heaven, on changing the world around us. Wouldn't that be amazing? Maybe the most important thing, the most meaningful thing, the most powerful thing that you'll ever do is the one thing that no one ever asked you to do is the thing that's just stirring in your heart. I want want to call that out of us this morning, this passion that's within us. You know, a desire to make this kind of change in the world around us. A desire to do this initiative rather than waiting for someone else to say, go for it. Well, here's the thing, actually. We're now saying, go for it. (laughs) This passion that you've got within you. You're like, I've got this resource. I've got this passion, but I'm waiting for someone to give me a script. Well, here's the script. Go for it. Be an innovator. Be someone who brings change to the world around you. Caring for individuals is so important, so powerful. But what if we actually change the way society works? What if we actually change the way the system works? What if we said, we're going to just forget the script for now, the script that's been handed to me by someone else, by my culture. I'm going I'm to put that script down. I'm going to pick up this new script that says, you are a priest in this world. You are a conduit of heaven we can orientate our lives together uh, to be holy, to be the people of God and to reflect that into the world around us. To not curse the deaf and to not put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but actually to see people flourish, to see people become all they were meant to be. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.